service. Hey, are you guys proud dog owners like I am? You ever wonder why so many dogs are suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, you know Katherine Heigl from Knocked Up, she's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation. And she says that she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, Catherine feels that there's one place that we can all look to improve our dog's health, and that is their food. Many dog foods can actually create toxins that can be wrecking our dog's health. Okay, and this is true even for many of the premium dog food brands. However, by just adding a few special superfoods to our dog's diets, we can see huge transformations in their health. Catherine Heigl has already done this. She's made a video about it. You guys need to watch this video. It's a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. This worked amazingly for my dog, Dusty. I'm noticing more energy, healthier skin, uh, healthier coat. Dusty's coat looks fantastic. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash disgraceland and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash Disgraceland. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about my Tacova's cowboy boots. I picked them up while I was in Austin, Texas. I had this event I had to go to that night. It was a formal thing. I had this idea of what I was going to wear, but I needed the one extra thing. And I was like, aha, Tacovas. There's a Tacovas here in Austin. The dudes who worked at the store were great. I found the exact boot I was looking for. This boot is called the Dylan. I got it in midnight black. I wore them to this formal event. I had on a suit. And then tonight, I'm going to wear them with jeans to my son's baseball game. These things are amazing cowboy boots. They're super comfortable, and I can tell already that they're going to last for a long time. A couple things you can do here to check out Tecovis. If you can, stop by your local Tecovis store. Have a complimentary drink or two. The experience is awesome. You can shop all the new styles. You're going to smell that fresh leather in the store. The friendly staff are going to be at your service. They're going to take care of you. They're going to make you feel like a rock star. A lot of the Tacova stores have these leather custom branding services to make your boots truly personalized. They put on regular live music and events. It's an awesome in-store experience. So if you have the opportunity to check out a Tacova store, I highly recommend it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges. And they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Disgraceland is brought to you by Disgraceland All Access. Disgraceland All Access membership is your chance to support the show and get ad-free listening an exclusive scripted episode every month, and exclusive bonus content every week, plus access to an always-on chat with me and your fellow discos. Visit disgracelandpod.com slash membership, or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. Disgraceland is a production of Double Elvis. Hey guys, doing my best to bring you as much content as I can during this COVID-19 lockdown. So here's a special unplanned bonus episode I decided late Friday afternoon to write once I learned the music news about Tiger King's Joe Exotic. Like the rest of America, I too binged Tiger King and was excited to come at the story from a music angle. So my team and I jumped into action and we pulled this together in three days so you can have some content on this Disgraceland off week. 
For context, it usually takes two weeks to produce an episode of Disgraceland, and that doesn't include research. So I not only relied heavily, obviously, on the Netflix documentary as a source for this episode, but I also relied on the New York Magazine Intelligencer article on Joe Exotic entitled American Animals that was reported in partnership with Over My Dead Body Season 2, Joe Exotic by Wondery. These and the rest of the sources used for this episode are available on my website, as are the sources for all of my episodes. Finally, if you have some extra coin lying around and want to donate to help prevent the type of animal cruelty depicted in this episode, there are numerous animal rights organizations out there worthy of your donation. And if depictions of animal cruelty, rape, or suicide trigger you in any way, then you might want to skip this. But if stories about gun-toting, mullet-wearing, polyamorous con men get you going, then guess what, motherfucker? This episode's for you. Mellotron. Stories about Joe Exotic are insane. As the owner of a roadside zoo in Oklahoma, he ruled over his staff like a redneck circus wrangler. He took tigers and other large predators to malls across America until his touring show was shut down by his nemesis, Carol Baskin. He was strapped at all times and made sure everyone who ever saw his YouTube show knew he was ready to stand his ground in defense of his cats blow any intruders away, or just plain blow shit up. He was a polygamist, a politician, a padlocked Prince Albert-wearing protagonist in his own movie. And he was, of course, the star of a series of low-budget country music videos, including one where the body parts of his arch-rival's husband are fed to real live hungry tigers. The song, like the video, is so batshit crazy that it's hard not to qualify it as anything less than great because Joe Exotic made great music. Actually, he didn't. But he did make music, sort of, but not in the way you expect and totally unlike that music you heard at the top of the show. That wasn't great music either. That was a preset loop from my Mellotron called Hammond Tube Funk MK2. I played you that loop because I can't afford the rights to The Box by Roddy Rich. And why would I play you that specific slice of lo-fi, auto-tuned cheese, could I afford it? Because that was the number one song in America on January 22nd, 2020. And that was the day that Joe Exotic was sentenced to 22 years in federal prison for only a small sample of the insane behavior he had exhibited over the previous decade. On this episode, Big Cat Exploitation tiger maulings, deadly gunplay, low-budge country cheese, and Joe Exotic. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Disgraceland. cruiser was screaming down the highway's off-ramp. Its driver was drunk to the point of pissing the khaki pants of his uniform and humiliated, rejected again. The bourbon, the beer, it dulled the pain, but 
love was more than just a shot away. Gay nightlife in Dallas, Texas in 1985 for East Village Chief of Police Joe Schreivogel was heartaches by the number, trouble by the score. Still, at the age of 22, while dealing with, as he would be the rest of his life, the post-traumatic stress of being raped at the age of five and having to navigate the tricky emotional terrain of young, closeted homosexual adulthood, Joe, with the alcohol revving him up, had reached his breaking point. He turned down the off-ramp and gunned it, pedal to the metal, straight for the wall, no sad farewells, no tear-dimmed eyes, on his way to that fair land where the soul never dies. Joe survived the crash. Some would say thrived. But the memory of the crash snuck up on him now and then, out of nowhere, as did the other memories, the bad ones. The one about his first husband, Brian, dying of AIDS. And that wound was deep. It wasn't healing, ever. Worse than that, though, more scarring, more frightening, was the memory of his second husband, Jay-Z. Get on the ground, motherfucker. You're gonna eat this gun, you hear me? You're gonna fucking eat it. Eat it, eat it. JC was now doing a life sentence for first degree murder. He came and went, just like the memories. Joe couldn't control them, but it didn't matter. He could control most everything else. He had confidence in spades. He used it to build a mini empire, an exotic animal empire. Joe Schreivogel was now Joe Exotic. Exotic animals, big cats were the game, but entertainment was the business, show business, or more precisely, Joe business. It had always been that way. The business of show, the business of Joe. That's how we got the gig as chief of police at 19. With zero experience or any real education, he talked himself into it. Confidence. And then, later, as a traveling magician, he did the same thing. He knew a trick or two, sure, but like every good confidence man, Joe was only as good as the card up his sleeve. He'd bury the memories, stroll the expanse of his 16-acre exotic animal park, the GW Zoo, and contemplate his next move, his next score, his next love. Within the 16 acres of the animal park, Joe was master of his domain. Within this space, he kept an untold number of plates spinning within his own three-ring circus act not only feeding lions and tigers and bears and more, but playing backwood sugar daddy there in Winnewood, Oklahoma, to the island of misfit toys that made up his staff, guiding tourists through to see the wonders and to pet the baby tigers while they took selfies for future Facebook, Instagram, and Tinder profile pics. Business was good-ish, and there was always some complication, some hassle, usually money. But things were up. Joe was moving into television. He'd launched his own web TV show, but he also had an experienced reality TV producer and crew following his every move, making a reality series on spec with hopes of selling it to Animal Planet or National Geographic or some other basic cable channel, hopefully through a bidding war. So far today, it was quiet at the zoo. Joe was sitting outside, smoking, looking up at the clouds, watching them take shape, looking for signs, wasting time. And there were only a few patrons so far milling about, waiting for the show to start, waiting to shell out what few dollars they had to hold and pet a baby tiger. Shit, that reminded Joe. The cats over in the tiger pen needed to be fed. Tigers only eat about once a week. 
meaning wild tigers only kill once a week, to eat, not for sport. Generally speaking, tigers are afraid of humans. Not that there aren't numerous attacks of humans by tigers in the wild. There are, but those are mainly cases of mistaken identity, where the tiger thinks the human is something else, something normally on the menu like a wild boar or an elephant calf. Tigers, of course, also attack humans when they feel threatened, but assuming threats aren't part of the deal and assuming the tiger's normal diet doesn't dry up, then humans are usually off the menu. But not on that morning, not at Joe Exotic's Exotic Animal Park. On that day, humans were abso-fucking-lutely on the menu. The animal clawed at the arm, big six-inch claws ripping skin, then a second swipe, gripping into the muscle under the human flesh, shredding the tendons where the muscle connected to the bone, pulling Joe's worker, the one they called Saf, into the fence and separated him from the hungry man-eater. The tiger thrust his head at Saf's arm, brought his sharp canines down through the skin of the arm, severed it almost completely. The tiger fell back for a moment on the other side of the fence. Saf managed to get his arm free at that exact right moment, falling into a puddle of muddy water on the ground. As soon as the attack happened, word went out fast. Joe was on the scene in less than a minute, pulling his severely wounded employee out of the muck and quickly applying a makeshift tourniquet to his arm. In another minute flat, Joe threw on an EMT jacket, always the showman, this time playing the role of authority through sheer confidence alone, as he went to announce the mauling to the crowd of visitors wandering around his gift shop. Even in the face of disaster, Joe's bravado carried the day. As he described the incident to the assembled crowd as if nothing had gone wrong, except for Saf putting his arm through the fence, it was Saf's fault after all, and it for shit sure wasn't his fault or the tiger's. Because at heart, Joe's fast-talking persona was inseparable from his love for the big cats. Like all big cat people, he had the stones to walk among some of the world's most efficient predators. Compared to that adrenaline rush, dealing with the fallout on this messy day at the park was nothing. Every confidence man knows how to handle a mark who spots the work. Provide a distraction. Move along, nothing to see here. Except at GW Zoo, in the wake of Saf's mauling, there was still plenty to see. The park remained open and Saf himself would soon be back on the job, not wanting to give the press more ammo in their campaign to shame Joe or worse, shut him down. The inevitable had happened, but thanks to an EMT costume change and the loyalty of his workers, Joe Exotic would stay on top. For now. That night, Joe sat in front of his computer. The glow of the screen was the only light shining in his broke-down palace, a ramshackle ranch house on the zoo's property. Inside, it was a total shithole, double-wide decor. Joe chain-smoked and cruised Craigslist. It was a nightly ritual, old habit. It relaxed him. Joe knew the ins and outs of the free market listing site come internet sewer. Depending on what you were looking for, meth, paid sex, weed, whatever, and that you knew how to look for it, capital T in the post to indicate the poster had meth, promises of roses for paid sex or violets for weed. Craigslist could hook you up, especially when it came to sex. Casual encounters, NSAs for no strings attached, massages, waterworks, party and play, all kinds of sex, 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 and more sex. So much so that Newsweek in 2015 
reported that Craigslist alone was responsible for a 16% increase in HIV cases. Joe was clean, though. He thought so, anyway. He was in love with Travis. Travis was beautiful, which was most of the reason why Joe married him, and certainly all of the reason Joe's other husband, John, allowed for the polygamous union. Travis was easy on the eyes, but that's not why John allowed Joe to bring him into the relationship. John allowed it because he'd let Joe do whatever the hell it was Joe wanted to do. Joe was the boss, literally. Joe not only paid husband number one John's checks at the zoo, but Joe also paid John's bills, took care of him, real sugar daddy style. John wasn't bad looking either, bulky, 19 years old. Joe bought him steroids to beefcake him up a bit more, and Joe paid for his tattoo, the one just above his cock that said, privately owned by Joe Exotic. But aside from all that, Travis was okay with John. Like John, Travis wasn't even really gay. He was just desperate, young, impressionable, and easily influenced by confidence, experience, and opportunity. Travis would go in with Joe for the same reasons John did. And like John, Travis liked the meth a little too much. It clouded things, made it all bluey up in his head. Sex, sexuality, love, desire, devotion. What did any of it really mean anyway? The three of them, Joe, Travis, and John, lived somewhat happily at the zoo, and Joe loved both his husbands, but Travis was special. Maybe Joe would write him a song. Yeah, something heartfelt, something Clint Black would sing to his pretty wife and mean it. Joe pointed his cursor to the little blue create a posting link on Craigslist and lit another cigarette. Okay, listen, if you're one of the few people out there who's new to podcasts, new to Disgraceland, new to true crime, if you have not already listened to the wildly popular and hysterically funny and informative podcast, My Favorite Murder, hosted by my friends Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark on the Exactly Right Network, then what are you waiting for? You got to check out My Favorite Murder in each episode. They're going to tell you stories about infamous serial killers, cold cases, incredible survivor stories. And listen, these guys are wildly popular for a reason. They have an incredible chemistry. They're hysterical. They're smart as all get up. And you're instantly going to feel like they're long lost friends. They've got great new episodes on the subjects I've already mentioned, but they've got this whole treasure trove of back episodes, including well-known stories from true crime and music history, like the deaths of Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen, the murder of pop singer Selena, and now the infamous story of the cocaine bear. I've known Karen and Georgia since the beginning of my sort of foray into podcasting. They've been heroes of mine. I was on their podcast in March of 2022 to share my hometown story about a prison break party that I attended in high school. Uh, and they told me it was one of their most popular episodes. So you can check that out as well. Listen to My Favorite Murder wherever you listen to podcasts. Brand new episodes drop every Thursday. Hey, Discos, it's Jake here. Thank you so much for listening to Disgraceland. Your support truly means a lot to me, and it's because of you that my team and I are able to make this show. 
If you want more Disgraceland, if you want more regular interactions with me and the community of Disgraceland listeners, or if you simply want to listen to the show ad-free, go to disgracelandpod.com slash membership, or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. For just five bucks a month, you can listen to every episode of Disgraceland ad-free. Plus, you'll get one brand new exclusive episode every month. You'll also get weekly unscripted bonus content, special audio collections, and early access to merch and events. There are two ways that you can support the show and become a member at disgracelandpod.com slash membership. You can sign up using Patreon and listen to the show ad-free on Apple, Spotify, and most other major podcast platforms. And Patreon members also get access to all the other perks of membership in an always-on chat where I'll be interacting with you and diving deeper into the world of Disgraceland. But maybe you're currently an Apple Podcast subscription listener and you want to just tap into all the bonus audio content and ad-free listening that we're offering. We're also offering this membership as a premium channel on Apple Podcasts. However you choose to join, all you got to do is go to disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Support the show for just $5 a month, five bucks, or sign up for an annual plan and get two months free. Come join me and your fellow discos at Disgraceland All Access by visiting disgracelandpod.com slash membership. When Joe got the MP3, the song's mix emailed to him and clicked play, and the sound came rushing out of his tinny little computer speakers. It was glorious. Joe heard his future calling him. The song was perfect, so on brand, so Joe. The reality show television producers, the networks, his staff, the zoo, they're all gonna have the same reaction. Joe, you sound amazing. Damn right he'd tell him. He was Joe Exotic, not some other guy. Of course he could sing. He had one good leg left too after that bitch tiger chainsaw tore him up good, but guess what, motherfucker? He could dance too. But singing and dancing wasn't gonna be enough. He needed theatrics, and in the age of the internet, clicks were almost as good as dollars, and that meant Joe needed a video. He had the song. Now it was time to pour gas on this bitch. The federal agents from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service could not believe what they were seeing, yet they couldn't stop watching. They didn't even like country music. Hell, one of them didn't even really like music. Yet these music videos were endlessly entertaining. So amateur, yet so damn batshit crazy, it was better than porn. There were love letters to tigers with cheap storm cloud visuals, explosions, a ubiquitous bottle dyed mullet, uncomfortable extra shitty tattoos, tattooed eyeliner, more shitty tattoos. A candlelit dinner for one, more tigers, more storm clouds. Scantily clad country chicks where the singer, who everyone knew was gay because he was openly married to not one but two men, surrounded himself with hot babes to demonstrate his sexual prowess with the ladies called Pretty Woman Lover. And in all the videos, the one constant besides the mullet, of course, was the singer's shameless confidence. It's unbelievable. He comes across as some sort of Every Rose Has Its Thorn era Brett Michaels crossed with Joe Dirt and with zero irony and about as much self-awareness as Kenny Powers. But the one that took the cake, the video that absolutely could not be topped, was the one called Here Kitty Kitty. In it, the singer, Joe Exotic, a.k.a. Joe Maldonado Passage, a.k.a. Joe Maldonado, 
a.k.a. Joe Schreivogel, sings directly to his nemesis while wearing a priest uniform, while an actor playing his nemesis feeds her husband's body parts to real live hungry tigers. That nemesis, one Carol Baskin, owner of Big Cat Rescue outside Tampa, Florida. Like any good nemesis, Carol was like Joe in some ways, but is polar opposite in others. Like Joe, Carol loved big cats and provided them a sanctuary in which to live out their days in captivity. Unlike Joe, Carol had sworn off breeding and declared herself an animal rights activist. Like Joe, Carol knew the value of internet publicity, sharing web vlogs and maintaining a highly popular Facebook group. Unlike Joe, she used her online platform to target animal abusers and tried to shut down their businesses. And Joe was at the top of her list. From Joe's perspective, this was rank hypocrisy. Letters from Big Cat Rescue had hounded his touring mall show until he had to shut it down. But how much better really was Carol's organization than his own? It was clear to everyone watching with grim fascination over the interwebs she had gotten under his skin. In Joe's web videos, Joe would position mannequins and sex dolls labeled Carol and blow them up with dynamite, empty gun barrels into them, and threatened to send Carol venomous snakes through the U.S. mail. And these weren't the acts of any normal confidence man, but of a showman who had started drinking his own Kool-Aid. Carol upped the ante and retaliated by suing Joe for copyright infringement for ripping off her Big Cat Rescue logo in an effort to sow confusion in the Big Cat community. The sowing of confusion worked for Joe, and so did the lawsuit for Carol. Carol won her day in court, and the result, would be her bleeding Joe financially for years. He was crushed, nearly ruined financially because of it, and he couldn't let the gripe against Carol go. The hypocrisy of it all, especially considering that Joe, like a lot of others in the big cat community, was convinced that Carol was the actual criminal, a felon even, a murderer, who got away with killing her husband and taking over his fortune, dousing him with sardine oil and feeding him to the tigers on their property. And that was the running theory anyway. There's no evidence supporting it, but the story worked with Joe's narrative, that Carol was the real villain, not him. And he was gonna prove it. That's what the new song was all about. And that's what the Here Kitty Kitty video was about too. Joe singing his ass off, channeling Charlie Leuven. It wasn't quite Knoxville girl, but Here Kitty Kitty was steeped in murder. Joe was shining a light on Carol's bullshit showing the world that in his eyes, she was a murderer. And that's why the feds were watching Joe, clocking his silly music videos, making sure his antics didn't escalate into anything real. Because there were rumors, rumors that Joe was more than just a hapless publicity-starved con man. There were rumors about the slaughtered tigers and darker rumors still, that Joe had real murder on his mind. We'll be right back after this word, word, word. Tiger cubs are a high unto themselves. They're potentially dangerous, but not really. People love them. They're so damn cute. Beautiful. People can't get enough of them. And therein was the draw to Joe Exotic Zoo. The cubs. People would line up for hours to pay five bucks to get to hold them for a couple of minutes, and then another five bucks to get their picture snapped with them. But the problem with tiger cubs is they grow up into big hungry tigers that cost over 10 grand a year to feed each. And for someone like Joe Exotic, those big hungry tigers weren't good for much beyond making more tiger cubs. 
But pretty soon, those cubs will be old enough to make more cubs. And then they too will be costing too much money to feed. It was a goddamn vicious cycle. Travis hopped in Joe's pickup. He wasn't excited about what he knew they were going to do. Joe, behind the wheel, didn't seem to care at all. He sang along to Garth Brooks on the radio as they drove to the outer limit of the zoo's property. Out there, other zoo staff were waiting. The ditch was dug days ago. Joe pulled up to it, hopped out of the truck, took his shotgun. Travis stayed in the pickup. And the adult tigers Joe had requested were there, in the ditch, roaming. All five of them, Samson, Delilah, Trinity, Lauren, and Cuddles. Joe raised his shotgun, took aim, and blasted Samson away. Then Delilah, then Trinity, Lauren, and at last, Cuddles. And they all died, instantly, all five of them. And Joe was off the hook for 50 grand. The callous murder of the tigers was one of the many things Travis could no longer truck with. Life on the zoo was, well, a zoo. Joe was a mess, in constant motion, starting one fire to distract from another. There was the lawsuit with Carol, the literal fire in the alligator house, the destruction of their web studio and years of lost footage, and unbelievably, a serious run for governor of Oklahoma by the most unserious of candidates. Making matters worse was the fact that Travis confided to others that Joe had him completely locked down, that he wouldn't let him leave the zoo, wouldn't let him get a job elsewhere, that he kept him doped up on grass and meth in order to keep him under his thumb. Travis sunk into a deep depression because of it all, smoked more and more weed and doubled down on the meth. All the while, Joe was consumed with the zoo, with paying off the lawsuit from Carol, with his silly campaign for governor that was going nowhere, and with his new friend, Jeff. Jeff was Jeff Lowe from Las Vegas. Rumored to be a con man of sorts himself, Jeff had what Joe needed, cash. Cash to keep the studio afloat while Joe paid off Carol. Jeff could get shit done, dig that McMansion on the outskirts of town, dig that Hummer, dig that swinging dime spot wife with the tryst with the call girls in Vegas. Jeff had it going on. Jeff was the answer to Joe's prayers. Or so Joe thought. No one else did. Jeff represented the end, death. Joe transferred legal ownership of the zoo to Jeff and focused on brand and entertainment and fending off Carol. Jeff managed his new investment, quickly took control of the zoo, and brought in new management, Alan Glover. Alan Glover ran out of fucks decades before running into Joe Exotic and his band of misfit toys at the GW Zoo. Alan did hard time, a convicted felon who snickered at Joe's tattooed eyeliner. Alan had a teardrop tattoo below his eye. Rumors spread that it was a prison marker symbolizing that Alan had killed a man, though many claim that the teardrop prison logo is an indicator that its wearer is a bitch, someone sissy, someone turned out by a more dominant prisoner, a sex toy. It's not surprising which meaning Alan ran with on the zoo. He refused to work for Joe, degraded him regularly for being a homosexual, claimed he worked for Jeff and Jeff alone, which was true. Alan didn't get along with Joe's other zoo staff either, Travis among them. Travis was sunk. Not only was working with Alan under the new zoo order a pain in the ass, Joe was not himself. He was irritable. His mood swings were off the charts. 
He was regularly blowing up at staff, berating them, high, fucked up, erratic, becoming more possessive of not only Travis, but also of John, his other husband. Near impossible to deal with, and due to Carol's lawsuit and the constant pressure it put on Joe to pay off the massive million-dollar-plus debt the courts ruled he owed Carol, Joe was constantly stressed about money. And feeding the cats was becoming impossible, and there was only so much in expired meat donations he could grab from the local Walmart, and a good portion of that bad meat was now being used to top the pizza Joe was serving to customers from the new pizzeria he and Jeff built on the zoo. But customers weren't the only ones who needed to eat. The adult tigers needed to eat too, and Joe had no cash to make it happen. So he was eager to take the call about the horse. The one some locals wanted Joe to take off their hands. They wanted to donate it to the zoo. Travis thought it was a bad idea. Joe didn't give a fuck what Travis thought. Travis smoked some more dope. Joe, once the horse was donated, arranged for it to be brought out to the ditch. Travis was bored. There were only so many trails to tear ass over on his four-wheeler. Joe grabbed his shotgun and headed out toward the ditch. Travis grabbed his Ruger and headed toward the zoo's office. Joe was fed up, tired of the hassle of the zoo, Carol's bullshit, Jeff's bullshit. Tired of the staff, tired of John, tired of Travis, tired even of the tigers. Travis was fed up as well. Fed up with Joe, mostly. His constant bullshit, his possessive ways, fed up because, frankly, he had no life with Joe. He wasn't allowed to leave, to work, to love, to live. Joe drove in his pickup, blasted his newest would-be single. God damn, this demo was hot. He knew it. The vocals especially. Deep, resonant hinting at a knowing soul, someone who's seen some shit, a dead husband, a jailed husband, a kept husband. Travis stopped his four-wheeler, blasted a rail of meth up his nose. His blood ran hot. He knew he was fucked, this time especially. Trapped, kept, dying inside to be more. Someone who could live a life, a real person, a real man, a free man. Joe put his hand on his shotgun on the seat at his side. It comforted him made him feel like the man he was, in control, confident. Travis patted his hand on the Ruger in his pocket as he bounced off the four-wheeler. It gave him purpose, for a moment anyway, less confused. Joe exited the pickup truck, and there was the horse, as requested, roaming in the ditch. Travis entered the zoo's office. There was the camera, as expected, running up on its perch. Joe raised the shotgun. Travis raised the Ruger. Joe thought, out here, no one would see. Travis thought with the camera on, everyone would see. Joe pointed it straight at the horse's head. Future tiger meat, he thought. Travis pointed it to the temple of his own head. Fuck with me, fuck with you. He pulled the trigger. Publicly, Joe displayed legitimate grief and, of course, confidence. Travis's death tore him up good, and it brought a shit ton of publicity, good and bad, down on Joe, Jeff, and the zoo. Privately, Joe is a mess, alone at night with the remnants of his trauma, the constant pick of his stress and rattling anxiety. 
the hum of Craigslist, as always, lighting his room from his computer screen. The television dead quiet, just like his confidence. Joe lashed out. He pulled the revolver from his side, the one he kept on him at all times, took aim at his television and blew it away. Then he took aim at the couch across from him and fired a bullet through it as well. And finally, he did what seemed like an inevitability. He put the barrel of the gun to his own head and pulled the trigger. But the pistol malfunctioned and Joe Exotic escaped death by his own hand. But Carol Baskin would not be so lucky. Not if Joe had anything to do about it. She was bleeding him. It had to end. She was the living embodiment of an existential threat to his way of life. She had to die. And Joe knew just how to do it. He was confident that not only could he get rid of Carol, but if he was smart, he could solve another problem as well. Get rid of that world-class prick, Alan Gardner, in the process, and kill two birds with one crossbow. And that was the plan, anyway. The plan he cooked up with Alan, traveling halfway across the country from Oklahoma to Tampa, Florida, with a gun for Alan for an ex-con, was too risky. So a crossbow was decided upon. Alan would sneak out to Carol's property with a crossbow while she was out for a regular bike ride and shoot her with it. No, Alan had a better idea. He was into the knife, smaller, easier to carry and conceal. He'd sneak onto Carol's property, wait for her in the bushes, jump out, attack, and cut her head off for $5,000. But Alan was in it for more than the money. He hated Joe, and he knew that if he did this for him, he would own him forever. Alan knew already that he was going to hell for his sins. He needed to make the most of this world. He told a friend and confidant of his and Jeff's, James Gerritsen, who was in on the plan to kill Carol. If anybody rats me out and I get popped, everybody that they love, I'll have them burnt alive. Every fucking single person. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. They will be burnt the fuck alive. Joe promised Alan the full 5K when the job was complete and gave him a three grand advance. Alan got in his car, headed for Florida, and quickly blew all of the money on strippers, booze, and drugs. There was no hit on Carol. Fuck it. Alan decided the 5K and Joe fucking exotic weren't worth more time. Joe exotic, he of the never-ending bullshit, the consummate entertainer, a man who seemed forever confident, an extraordinary confidence man, a confidence man's con man, had been out-conned by the ex-con, Alan Gardner, who not only conned Joe out of his money, but conspired with Jeff Lowe and their friend, James Gerritsen, to set Joe up for the feds and help convict him of a murder-for-hire plot. Murder-for-hire being a tricky charge to land convictions for, needing an exchange of money, wired recordings acknowledging the plot, and then motioned by the hired assassin to execute the plot, well, the feds being the feds, weren't going to hang their hat on a complicated scheme that wouldn't guarantee a guilty verdict, especially once Alan blew the money on a lost weekend in Florida instead of taking out Carol. So Joe was brought up on 19 total charges, two that covered the attempt to kill Carol, and 17 for animal cruelty, including multiple attempts to sell or offer to sell tigers, and perhaps, most heartstring pulling of all, the murder of the five tigers, Samson, Delilah, Trinity, Lauren, and Cuddles. For all of it, Joe got 22 years in a cage. For Joe Exotic, for Joe Maldonado Passage, Joe Maldonado, Joe Schreivogel, 
there were many humiliations about prison. The irony, of course, being that he, a man who exploited helpless animals, killing them and keeping them caged for his own enrichment, was now behind bars. That, of course, stung like a motherfucker. But perhaps more stinging was the fact that finally, Joe Exotic's confidence had paid off. He was famous, not because of some lowbrow reality TV show, and not because of his silly music videos, but because of a Netflix documentary, Tiger King, that captured America's imagination at a time when the country desperately needed the distraction. Joe Exotic was the most famous man in America, and he was rotting behind bars. That stung, but so too did the discovery and humiliation that Joe wasn't, even in his newfound fame, quite what he presented himself as. After the popularity of the Netflix documentary on his life, his zoo, his beef with Carol, it came out in public that Joe wasn't the real voice behind those impassioned country songs he'd been releasing over the years. Songs and music videos that constituted so much of who Joe was, his identity. But no, Joe, with his high-pitched, nasally redneck lilt, couldn't hold a tune if it was drenched in crazy glue. Word is out that Joe Milli vanilli that shit pointed the cursor toward the blue create-a-posting link on Craigslist and lured a struggling country act from Vancouver, Washington, the Clinton Johnson Band, to write, record, and of course sing his songs for him. Joe Exotic, forever a con, forever a disgrace. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Disgraceland. Disgraceland was created by yours truly and is produced in partnership with Double Elvis. Credits for this episode can be found on the show notes page at disgracelandpod.com. If you're listening as a Disgraceland All Access member, thank you for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. And if not, you can become a member right now by going to disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Members can listen to every episode of Disgraceland ad-free. Plus, you'll get one brand new exclusive episode every month. Weekly unscripted bonus episodes, special audio collections, and early access to merchandise and events. Visit disgracelandpod.com slash membership for details. Rate and review the show and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at DisgracelandPod. And on YouTube at youtube.com slash at DisgracelandPod. Rock a roll